This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. Hear the word of the Lord as I read James 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. For those of you that have finished your formal education, I want to ask you to look back with me for just a moment. For those of you that are still engaged in school, whether it be elementary, middle, or high school, what I'm about to describe is indeed a present reality for you. If you'll remember, there are all sorts of of tests in school. There's semester exams and year-end exams. There are take-home tests and open book tests, chapter tests and unit tests, essay tests and fill-in-the-blank tests. I'm starting to sound like Forrest Gump reciting shrimp. There are multiple choice tests and true and false tests. There are even physical fitness tests. But there was one test that, for me anyway, always caused the most distress. It was that test that occurred when you walked in the room, had your seat, the bell rang, and the teacher or the professor said, put your books away, take out a sheet of paper and a pencil. What? It's a pop quiz. You had a chapter to read last night? Let's see if you read it. And there you are, exposed. Either you read it or you didn't. There was no way to prepare except to do the homework. That's a novel idea. Unexpected test. Unplanned. Either you're ready or you're not. James has been teaching us about the tests that occur in life, the trials that we will face. In verse 2, he has prepared us by saying that we'll meet various trials in life. That's a given. It will happen. In verse 5, he taught us that if we lack wisdom in the midst of those trials, we don't know what to do, we're not sure what God would have us to do, ask God for wisdom. Ask Him to show you. My child, the Lord says, I will guide you when you face these trials. Then comes the unexpected trial. The pop quiz, as it were. Money. Or the lack thereof. Riches and scarcity become a trial. Having funds and resources or lacking funds and resources is a test of our faith. And our character. 
Really, it's both ends of the spectrum and everything in between in which our character and our faith is tested. Because whether we are rich, poor, or somewhere in the middle, we are always tempted to make money a God. Believing that it will solve all of our problems. And it's very tempting, whether we be rich, poor, or somewhere in between, to make what we have or don't have our identity. And when something other than God becomes our identity, we are skating on thin ice that will eventually crack and crumble and we'll fall through. If we find ourselves in that place where we are struggling to make ends meet and there's always too much month left at the end of the money, it's easy to define ourselves by what we don't have. When we do that, we find ourselves playing the victim. Life's not fair. If I'd gotten the breaks they got, if I'd had the opportunities they had, and when we have that mindset, we will find ourselves over time growing bitter, resentful, and envious. And those attitudes will become a shadow that grows wherever we may walk. The other end of the spectrum also has its own temptation to define ourselves by what we have. Looking around and thinking, man, I'm comfortable in life. I've got everything that I could ever need can lead us to pride that is always destructive. We may find ourselves becoming like King Nebuchadnezzar, the ancient ruler of Babylon. At the time Nebuchadnezzar reigned, he was the most powerful man on the planet. He stands on the balcony of his palace overlooking the opulence of Babylon. He says to himself, look what I have done. Then God said, you think you have done it, Nebuchadnezzar? For the next three years, Nebuchadnezzar was stricken with what is called lycanthropy. He lost his mind. It's interesting that even when we have much, it's very easy to become jealous of those who have more. If you were to talk to the uber wealthy, I'm talking those who are in that stratosphere of Jeff Bezos, who last I saw was valued at $800 billion, he gets by day by day. He probably is looking at Elon Musk thinking, now if I had real money, that's where I'd be. Nelson Rockefeller at one point was the richest man on the planet, and he was asked, how much is enough? His answer, one more dollar. One more. Now understand that being poor or being rich doesn't necessarily mean that God has favored nor rejected you. For God creates both. Proverbs 22.2 says this, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. That last phrase is the one I wanted to think about for just a brief moment. On one level, it's a reminder that rich or poor, we're all made in the image of God. We all have value because we bear His mark upon us, His imperature. This is said, the rich and the poor both put on their pants one leg at a time. But I also wonder if that last phrase couldn't mean this, the Lord is the maker of them all, that in God's sovereignty there are those that He has gifted to become wealthy, 
And those that according to his plan for whatever reason may struggle. But both are there according to his will. Neither one is sinful in per se in and of itself. Do a quick survey with me through the Bible and see how God has used both those who are of means and those who are not. Abraham was a very wealthy man. Owning, owning flocks that we could only imagine. John the Baptist ate locusts and wore camel hair coats. Not the type you buy in the store, by the way. Both were men of God. In the New Testament, we meet Lydia. Lydia was a successful businesswoman, seller of purple. She ministered alongside Paul. In fact, scholars believe that Lydia was one of the people who underwrote Paul's ministry. Mary, who carried Jesus in her womb, was a poor peasant girl, both used by God. Joseph and Isaiah had positions of power in the very throne room of the king. Amos was a farmer, Peter a fisherman, each of them used by God. So the question is not what we have or don't have. The question is, do we belong to God? Are we His? Riches as well as poverty tempt us to forget what really matters in life. So the question for us as believers is this. How can we stay grounded in what is truly important, no matter our economic status? How can we evaluate our values so that we truly place importance on that which is eternal? That's where James gives us this word of exhortation. And he begins in verse 9 by speaking to the lowly brother. That's the brother, uh, the fellow believer in Jesus who is lowly. Now, the word lowly can mean one who is humble, one who is of low social status. But in this case, in the context, he's talking about the brother or sister who is at the level of poverty. They don't have much. They have rarely anything. And James says to them, boast in your exaltation. Now, boasting is usually not a good thing. It's arrogance. It's, it's making much of ourselves. But in this context, boasting means giving praise to God. It's similar to what Paul said in Corinthians when he said, If I boast, I will boast of the cross of Jesus Christ. So what James is saying is that the brother or sister in Christ who is poor and doesn't have much, let them boast, let them brag about their exaltation. That word means to be lifted up. So the question is, how are those who in the world's eyes have nothing, how are they exalted? Well, to the world, those who are poor may struggle and have nothing. But in the kingdom of God, those who are poor and are in the family of God have been exalted. They have placed their faith in Christ, therefore they are members of the royal family. We who have placed our faith in Christ are heirs of the king. We who have placed our faith in Christ have the riches of his grace and of his power. That's the great reversal. In the world's eyes, believers and followers of Christ are powerless. We're not the movers and the shakers. But that's whom God works through and adopts into his family so that those who are humble have power. That's what Mary sang about in the Magnificat in Luke 1 when she said, Lord, you have brought down the powerful and you have exalted those of humble estate. So believer, when you are struggling at those moments and feel like you have nothing, 
Whenever you're experiencing those moments where you feel looked down upon and you're thinking, why don't I have what everyone else has? Remember that you have everything you need in Christ for what really matters in life. What matters if we have a bunch of stuff, but we are miserable in our spirits? That counts for nothing. But the one who has joy in the spirit has everything, no matter the outward circumstances. That's what James is talking about. He's saying you have the abundant life in Christ. Now the challenge for us believers is to remember that Monday through Saturday. Because we are bombarded with messages that teach us. Try to indoctrinate us in thinking, well, you're not really happy if you don't have the latest gadget. It's been said that Americans watch TV for nearly 30 hours a week. That 65 days of nonstop TV watching every year. It's been said that by the time a student graduates from high school, they would have viewed 360,000 commercials. The average 65-year-old will have watched 2 million commercials. And each commercial has the same premise. Unless you get this product, you will not have true happiness and deep satisfaction. Now I want you to think about if the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 had been rewritten based upon the images that are given to us of what the truly satisfying life is. The Beatitudes would have gone like this. Blessed are those who fly to luxury vacation spots on tropical islands where they lay in chaste lounge chairs, the only two people on an enormous white beach, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who drink much beer, for they shall be surrounded by carefree football-watching buddies and highly attractive, socially gifted women in the first half of life, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have the latest smartphone, for they shall gaze on a screen swirling with color and shall get all the information they need just when they need it, and they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who have outstanding kids. Verily I say unto you, highly blessed are those who have a golden Labrador retriever bounding along on that slow motion video day of playing with the kids in the park, for they shall be the envy of real families everywhere, and they shall be satisfied. Quite the opposite of blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus turns the values of this world on their head. In verse 10, he speaks to the other end of the spectrum. And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, those to whom James was writing had an interesting relationship with the wealthy. We'll dive more into that in chapter 2. Because on one end of the spectrum, they were being persecuted by the wealthy in the society in which they lived. But on the other end, when a wealthy person came into the congregation, they were tripping over themselves to give that wealthy person the place of honor. So it's like, what gives? We'll get into that more in chapter 2. So here early in this letter, the Lord reminds us of what really matters. So just as the lowly brother exalts or boasts in his exaltation, the rich brother is to boast in his humiliation. He's making the same point with both. 
The world at the time that James wrote this, and even the world today, looked down upon the church. The church was viewed as those who were of the social, lower social stratus of society, those who had nothing, those who were rabble-rabbles and troublemakers. In other words, if you were a part of a church in the time James wrote, you probably wouldn't put that high on your resume. So James is saying that the rich who have come to Christ should joy in that humiliation because the world's looking at you thinking, why are you doing that? But yet that's the very thing that you would boast upon because you are in Christ. He's making the point that being a part of the body of Christ is what we should boast about because that is eternal. Now to hammer home the point that we should boast about being in Christ more than anything else, he says, I want you to remember something. The rich will pass away like the grass in the field. Verse 11 adds to this portrait, one with which we're familiar. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The imagery is well known. As it says in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. But James gives it this little twist. Just like the grass withers and dies when the scorching wind hits it, so the rich man will die in the midst of his pursuits. Now, there are several applications I want to make out of that sentence. The first is this. Death is the great equalizer. Doesn't that get your attention? Doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Death will come for us all. As one pastor told a group of graduating students, he said, one day, children, you're going to die. They're going to put you in the ground and go back to the church and eat potato salad. It's true. And on that day, it will not matter what we have or don't have. It won't matter what car we drove, what we had in our bank account. The only thing that will matter is Jesus. The question will not be, what did you have? It will be, how did you use what I gave you? Jesus put it like this. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But loses his soul. He told another parable about a businessman who was doing very well. His business was booming. His barns were filled to overflow, so he decided that he was going to build bigger and bigger barns, which he did. Then at the end of the day, he relaxed on his front porch, kicked back, lit a big cigar, and he said, Life is good. That night, God said to him, You fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Who will enjoy what you've laid up? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. How are we rich toward God? It's investing in the things that are of eternity. Living for him. Developing Christ-like character. And also knowing to boast that you know God because everything else will fade away. That should be the primary characteristic of our lives. No matter where we stand in the economic spectrum, as believers, the only thing that matters is Christ. This is what Jeremiah said, or the Lord said through Jeremiah. 
Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That last phrase tells us, I think, what we need to focus on. If the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness delights in those things, is that not telling us that's what we should pursue? That that is what really matters? Because everything else, indeed, in the end, will pass away, whether it be fortune or fame. I was reminded of that this past week. Um, Way back in 1985, okay, way back in 1985, There was a night that was said to have changed music forever. Led by Harry Belafonte, Lionel Richie, and Michael Jackson assembled 40 of the best-known artists of that time to sing, to record a song, We Are the World, for one night to raise money to relieve famine in Africa. And it was a huge undertaking. Those of you, I see some of you that can remember that with me, shaking your heads. It was huge. This past December... A music teacher, I believe it was in New Jersey, showed that video to her class. She asked them a simple question. Can you identify these artists? Now, they got two of them right. They knew Michael Jackson, and being from New Jersey, they knew Bruce Springsteen. But the rest of them? Who's that? Fame is fleeting. That's what we need to remember. Alan Redpath is an evangelist long since gone to be with the Lord, but he said this, "'Tis one life and will soon be past. Only what is done for Christ will last." Same is true for the material things that we value so much here. Having stuff is not necessarily a sin. It's what we do with it, and it's keeping things in the right perspective. Jen Wilkins reminds us that we need that heavenly perspective when we start thinking about stuff, writing about the descriptions that are found in Revelation 21 of the new heaven and the new earth. Jen Wilkins said that John is describing the new heaven and the new earth must be playing the hardest round of Pictionary known to man. How do you describe the indescribable? Take Revelation 21 where it says, The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now at first glance, Jen Wilkin writes, it seems the streets made of gold are meant to stir our excitement, to live in a place where opulence abounds at every level. But that's not the point. John's description of heaven takes the things that we esteem here And reduces them to the level of the common place. What are precious stones, jasper, diamonds in heaven? Sheetrock. What's the gold that we so highly value here? What's that in heaven? Asphalt. It's that perspective. And it's reminding us that the thing that lasts is our walk with Christ. And that's why we must invest our life, which includes what we have in the things of God. Giving what we have and can, whether it be in regular tithing or giving over and above, whether it be little or a lot, giving what we can. It means investing our lives in growing in Christ's likeness. 
Jim Elliott, who was martyred in 1956 in Ecuador, is well known for his passion for Christ. And although he didn't write a book, he kept several journals. And in those journals was found this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. To give up what you cannot keep to gain what you can never lose. Lack of things can be a test of faith. Having things is a test of faith. The way to pass the test is to know that in all things, we belong to Christ and will seek to glorify Him. That's the bottom line. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? These are things that we must remind ourselves of and remind one another of every day. Indeed, there are those that God has blessed with an abundance. Glory be to his name. And there are those who just go week to week. And that's where God seems to have most of us at. Glory be to his name. But let it be said that in all things we will exalt in the cross of Jesus Christ and in the fact that we are his. So this morning, church, I call us to really come back and to value what's important. Faith in Christ. Becoming like Jesus. If God delights in steadfast love, righteousness, and justice, then let it be said of us, we seek those things. Whether we have little or whether we have a lot. In just a moment, we will stand and sing. And if you want to come and kneel at the kneeling bench to pray, just to say, Lord, change my heart. Because we have a tendency to drift. So this may be a time where we say, Lord, bring me back to you and tie me. Tie me. Anchor me, O oh Lord. Anchor me down in Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for being gracious to us. I recognize that while Paul wrote when he said, all that we have, we have because of grace. Help us to remember that, O oh Lord. And Lord, you know each of our hearts. You know where we struggle in these areas and where we have victory through Jesus. You know where at times the idol of materialism has grabbed our thinking. In times where, Lord, we desire to, for, for fame or providence, Lord, let all those things fade away. So that all that remains is Jesus. Grant this, Father, we pray in his name. Amen.